You're listening to Keystone Cold Cases, a podcast where we reignite cold cases across Pennsylvania. Hey, it's Grace. Hey, it's Sarah. Hey, it's Chelsea, and today we have a little bit of a short episode, and we've all heard of this area before. This episode takes place in Tamaqua, Pennsylvania, and I guess I just like the area for some reason. Um, it's going to be the last one for a while, I think. But this one, I don't think probably a lot of us have heard because it was so long ago. Our story takes place on April 29th, 1937, and it is regarding a little kid named Jerome... Coonan and everyone called him Jackie and it was kind of hard because I think some earlier news reporting they spelled his name wrong it's supposed to be c-o-o-n-o-n but people did e-n at the end so it was kind of hard figuring out like finding everything really and apparently there's a lot of Jerome Coonans around that time frame really yes Yes. So it was difficult to try to make sure I was finding the right information. So at the time, Jerome was two years old, very young, probably one of our youngest, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely one of the youngest for sure. Yeah. And at the time, he was just playing in his grandparents' backyard. And I do want to say it was definitely a different time frame. So keep that in mind. I mean, like a huge different time frame. And what was the year? It was 1937. Okay. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was reading that right. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. And at the time, he was with his grandparents, and it was located on Brown Street. And looking at a map, obviously, I'm not going to get a feel for what it was like back then. I tried to kind of find pictures. It's just not the same. Sure. Yeah. But uh, it's interesting because a lot of the stuff located in the town has a name Jerome because I guess the back street behind his house was Jerome Street, and that was kind of street, if you will. And like their church was like St. Jerome's. Oh, so that was all just a coincidence. Yeah, totally. Wow. Okay. Yeah, the name Jerome's like was super prevalent at that time in that area. Huh. That's right. insane. I want to <laughs> like I want to look into the etymology of the name Jerome now and figure out why it was booming in that area at that time. That's I only so know cool. I only know one person with that name, and it's someone that I work with, and he's not from here. I don't personally know anyone. Just I can think of some TV characters, but. Yeah, I definitely thought it was uncommon, but apparently back then it was like the hip thing. Yeah, that's interesting. So in an article, it is said that, you know, Jerome was outside playing. A neighbor saw him crawling around and acknowledged him. And not only that, there was, I guess, a park that backed along their property and they had a fence. And there were four boys playing basketball, and they saw him that night, too. Uh, Apparently, Jerome had crawled up to the fence, and they kind of shooed him back to his grandparents' house. Um, And they basically were like, hey, you know, you're not supposed to be over here. And he kind of just, like, wandered back. And at the time, Jerome had a sister named Kathy. And in an interview, she said that he could be trusted and never wandered off. And to me, I'm like, I would never trust a two-year-old. What are you talking about? Yeah. That's not a thing now. (laughs) Um, yeah yeah that's a trustworthy two-year-old for sure yeah but i mean it was a different time it's just crazy to think 
now. That's just a little baby. Yeah. I just like a baby that like can't do anything for itself almost in my mind. Like I definitely don't I would never leave a two year old by itself unless they were sleeping. But right. different times. Right. You know, and his sister said that, you know, he would kind of play by himself, play on his own, self-entertain himself, which blows my mind up, too, because I've babysat some kids that can't self-entertain themselves well past that age. Yeah. (laughs) And including my own child. So and she said that he really liked to play with tobacco tins and nails. Also, (laughs) different time. Yeah. And nails. Yeah. I did read that he would particularly like to hammer the nails into the tin bin, like the tin, the tobacco tins, which is also, I think, alarming. But what kind of motor skills does this child have? Was he just beyond his years? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, the the motor skill development within kids really does alter and you can see it throughout history there have been many different longitudinal studies but as people evolve with like technology a lot of the kind of basic skills that you start to gain younger will change so when they probably would have been holding hammers more and like being used to that sort of thing they would gain that grip sooner so that makes sense. Like realistically, as a two-year-old at that point, if that was something in their house that they did a lot, he probably would have had that grip just because of it being much more common at the time. Just like now, a lot of kids have stronger like fingertips because they practice picking up a cell phone and grasping a cell huh. phone and their hands are so small that it just utilizes those muscles. So you're saying that child labor laws are ruining this country? (laughs) Sure. Sure. Because small children don't know how to hold a hammer. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yes. Well, I I just think that went right over my head. I don't know. I um I saw like a TikTok video of I mean it was definitely a different culture, uh, but like little kid had to be like three or four making food for their family and just like Yeah. The dexterity, the skills, yeah. like, and it was just there. And you see that in other cultures other than ours, like currently. But back oh, yeah. then, I just don't think, you know, especially this family, it seemed like they were kind of like, not maybe the poorest, but they weren't the richest. The, working um, class. Tr- yeah, working class. Yeah. I read an article that Jerome's parents lived with, I don't know which parents of theirs they were living with, but they were living with the grandparents. Okay. At the time. So, I mean, maybe they didn't have someone to watch. And at the time, they didn't have all the children they would have over time. So, it's just different time period. Yeah. Do you know if his father or grandfather, were they minors? Because I know that Tamaqua is near um, the mining area. Yes. uh, It is where they lived were in the coal region, which caused issues for the searches, but I didn't pull or find out which um, job the family they had, except for the brother, which we'll get into. Okay. And I guess, like, Jerome's grandparents were, like, if you will, on the clock the time of his disappearance, and they just kind of thought it was, like, any regular night. Uh, They called out to him to come in for dinner, 
And I guess over time they realized that he didn't respond. And so Jerome's grandmother went out, but there were zero traces of him. And apparently this disappearance launched one of the biggest investigations in the small town scene. Granted, that is coming from an article that was a little bit dated. So definitely could be different. We know of other people that went missing there. There's like a couple handful of boys that went missing. So who knows? But at the time... I was going to say, even just at the time, it would have been the largest. Yeah. Yeah. So we already talked about the coal pits being an issue. And these articles were also mentioning mine holes, tunnels, and it just seemed to make things very, very difficult. And I think back then, like, I guess in that time period, it was a lot of people. But when we get to it, the amount of volunteers I thought was lacking. But then again different time frame because you know i don't know grace knows um she went to volunteer for a search and the amount of people is astounding i think i joined she added me to that facebook group and just the amount of people that were going or interested is just totally different than like this but then again yeah this is a very tiny town also yeah so well and and in 2022 we also have like you said you know grace was able to add you to a facebook group about it so very true you know you have those virtual communities that you're able to reach people with news and information and reach out for help beyond the scope of what would have even been thought to have been possible in 1937 i don't know i guess even that element would change things I just thought with a kid that small, there would be way more of a turnout from what I was reading, if that makes sense. Yeah. Compared to maybe an adult, but. Sure. The article said that, you know, every tunnel, mine hole, sewer, swimming hole, and house was scrutinized by authorities. And early on, there was a possible sighting on a mountainside, which overlooked the child's home. And that's in the North Ward of Tamaqua. And obviously a huge, you know, search was launched and they had 80 volunteers. They basically were placed in a line eight feet apart from each other. And they basically were sent up in the mountain to walk literally side by side next to these people. And they were kind of told if you're doing it, you have to do it until the end. Like there was kind of like no stopping because they wanted to get from one side to the other side of the mountain. Um, so they like weren't missing anything, if you will. So that I would think is an extensive search just then, like didn't seem like they were really breaking because they didn't want to miss anything. Right. So I have something interesting to add just because, like you said, um, I was involved in a search for someone this weekend and we were doing a grid search in Nakamixon State Park. And I, Tamaqua has so many wooded areas even today. So I can imagine in 37, it was probably even more. And trying to grid search this wooded area with all the like rubs and like brambles and thorn bushes and everything, it some places it was almost impossible for an actual grid search. I mean, we had to, we were doing the same thing. We were supposed to basically be 10 feet apart from each other and going straight. But some of these areas were just so dense and difficult. It was impossible to do a, a good grid search. So I can imagine there's probably a lot of spots that they couldn't even get to in those woods. And consider too, I mean, the the grid search that you were a part of was, you know, mid-November. 
and Jerome went missing end of April. So while you were out there, you had, you know, a lot of maybe leaves and such, but just most of the trees and bushes and everything would really be dead. True. And so you didn't have those pieces to maybe a little bit to search under and around, but um, you know, in May when they would have been doing this, it would have been full bloom. I feel like that yeah. would just add another layer of difficulty to the process. Absolutely. I want to say that maybe because, I mean, that is a really wooded area and it seems like a lot of the people that were searching were local. I'd feel like they'd probably be more equipped to search than maybe you going into looking to the wooded area. Like they probably have clothing that is more or better able to equip with those types of environments. Sure. I know we've talked about it, but when I was younger, I lived in a very wooded area and I would just run and I never had problems because I had like specific clothing, like the brambles would never really catch me. If I sent Landon out, he'd literally run into everything and anything that you could possibly do. But I feel like if you're used to it, it might be a little bit different. And I will say where I was searching was a state park. So we weren't allowed to cut things or, you know, kind of you could... If you were just out in the woods, maybe you'd be able to kind of machete those <laughs> That's uh, true roadblocks too. away. And we certainly weren't allowed to do that. So I guess it just depends on the area. But there's I, definitely some issues that they could run into. I guess it's like a lot of things that we don't think about. Like if we've never done a search party or if we've never been involved in one or know anything about it. Yeah, Maybe we could like one day like interview a group. I know in that one group that you had added me to, they had requested to have a search group that is trained. I don't know if they had canines to do it. And apparently they're like, oh, we only get involved if police do it. But it'd be interesting to ask like a group like that questions because Mm -hmm. it's just a lot of information that we probably don't know as public. Yeah, it was definitely an experience. I've never been a part of a search party before. So there's definitely, there's always little things that you learn that you would never think of. So. Well, that's awesome. But unfortunately, like we were talking about the grid search uh, on this mountain, it really didn't turn up anything. They found nothing. And then the next day, I cannot tell if it was multiple local high schools or just one, but they garnered about 150 boys. And to me, I'd feel like that's probably more than one for that area. Uh, Yeah. I can't imagine that Tamaqua High School has that high of a population. Yeah. And I know that Tamaqua is its own school district because I recently had a kid withdraw and we had to send all the paperwork there. So I know that exists. (laughs) It may have been very different in the 30s as well. Okay. So because they didn't list what schools, they just kind of said that. So, but there were 150 boys and they were helping authorities. And I thought it was interesting because the girls were not allowed to help, which I thought was interesting. It was 1937. I know. I I know. know. It seems so backwards, but that would not have been weird at all at that time. I don't know. I just think a body's a body and another person to look, but I digress. I digress. But on May 4th, um, all these volunteers focused on the area behind the Barry's property. I guess there was thoughts like he's only two. How far really could he go? Especially Mm -hmm. like you said, with like the terrain and they searched all the way five miles back, like extensively. I think they were closer than the eight foot um, grid search. And even though they were like, you know, 
super detailed. There was literally no clues. Jerome's father at night was hopelessly keeping watch at the bottom of the mountain. There were some men in the town that reported that they heard a child screaming around the time that Jerome went missing. Oh, God. Yes, which is not something you want to hear. Um, And I think Jerome's father was, like, in the hopes of finding anything that could, like, explain why his child was screaming. Like, someone was going to kidnap him. They wouldn't just stay there letting him scream. You know, they'd take him. So I guess he was under the assumption that, like, he was hurt and he was hoping to find something. But he did not. And at that time, the family was becoming, like, super desperate and they felt hopeless because all these failures of these searches. They did post an award... Uh, which according to the papers was like an unprecedented amount, but I couldn't find what the amount actually was that they were offering. So, and I'm sure like to our standards, it probably wasn't that much, but sure. in an interview that the father did, Mr. Coonan, uh, the morning call interviewed him and he said, anybody that has him or knows where he is, please return him or send information. There'll be no questions asked. Please leave him at St. Jerome's Covenant or at St. Jerome's Rectory. And it just really seemed like they just wanted their boy back. That's Mm. so sad. Uh, One article said that the entire town was kind of turned upside down after this. um, And it kind of, like, changed. And we hear this all the time. Like, the town didn't lock their doors. They were super trusting. And, um... That all changed. And as we talked about it before, this all kind of happened before the TV hit. Yet this case made the headlines. It was broadcasted nationwide by WJZ Radio. And it memorized everyone who kind of listened. Like, what happens to a two-year-old or who could do anything to a two-year-old? It's just insane. And it is. It's It's just weird to think about. Like, my grandmother was also two when this kid went missing. Oh. And that's weird to think about because she was born in October of 34. So she would have been two in April of 37. Mm. That's just weird to, to kind of put those pieces together. Yeah. I think my first thought would be that he fell into some type of mine. Yeah. But then how did he get that far without someone's assistance? I mean, I'm sure the mines weren't too far, but probably for a two year old. They would be a bit of a distance. Well, I I want to say because like I saw a couple references and everything said that he was like crawling more so than walking. And even yeah. if he was walking to walk that far, he had what I would have to imagine crawl part of the way. And just to think ooh, that bare skin on that type of terrain. I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, it doesn't add up. And again, with just that general idea of, oh, well, we're not just shoving a phone in the kids' hands, you know, to pass time, the people that are home are also not just sitting inside behind a screen, right? Like, they're not scrolling TikTok or staring at a TV watching the news, you know, so you would think there'd be more eyes out and about that would see him if he was walking or crawling yeah somewhere like that right like that's it's just that whole theory that he could just walk out of the yard on his own just seems unlikely to me but still statistically possible it just just weird almost it's like it happened so fast first off people are around yeah and 
it, ha- it was only like minutes between someone seeing him, talking to him, acknowledging him to the point where he just vanished. I normally wouldn't say something like this, but since it was such a long time ago, do you think that his parents could have had anything to do with it potentially? I didn't see that come up at all. Yeah. And, you know, I do know that one uh, in one of the articles, officers were talking about the parents and it didn't seem like today where the parents would be the first one looked at. It's kind of like, oh, he's a trustworthy man, you know, right? he's right. my best friend. Yes. Um, yeah. So, I mean, such a small town, too. I mean, maybe, but they went on to have more children. It wasn't stated that, you know, they were having issues. They were, you know, living with their parents. And we've talked about the morning call. They post about a lot of stuff, like stuff yeah. from like the serious stuff to the non-serious stuff to everything in between. And it seemed like they were like kind of pillars of their community. They were mentioned a couple times in their church uh, community. It seemed like people cared about them. The dad obviously passed away um, and had like, I guess, uh, a long time illness. And it would like be posted about when he went into the hospital and like why. So it seemed like his community definitely cared about him. And I just don't, yeah. I mean, okay, never say never, but sure. I it do doesn't know, seem to fit. No, Mm-mm. the sister did come out and like do like a brief interview and she basically, and it was nothing really different than what I've talked about. Just, a couple years later and i guess the family just chalked it up to the fact that he was kidnapped they believe that he was kidnapped that's kind of what i lean toward too yeah yeah it makes sense yeah and it's sad and um i did find some other information that i thought was a little bit interesting and i'll just share um you know, we did talk about how, like, finding coverage on this case was a little bit difficult. I did find an article about his brother from October 10th, 1968, and his name was Daniel J. Coonan, and he went on to become a Marine Corps fighter bomber navigator, and the family found out that he actually died on the 9th of October 1968, and he died in a jet that he was, I guess, on, and it exploded during the Vietnam War. Oh, and he wow. was only 25 years old. Oh, wow. And, you know, the article just basically said, you know, it opened up a very deep wound in this already, like, grieving family. Yeah. Sure. And I just can't imagine having to bury a child and then just having another one unaccounted for. And I just feel like for how, you know, great the family seemed, I just, it's unfair. Like, how can so much yeah. happen to one family? Obviously, both parents died not knowing what happened to Jerome. And I really just think that I don't think it will ever. I feel like if information would have come out or someone would have said something, it probably would have been by now, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, you never know what That's sort true. of weird series of events can happen to make something turn up. But yeah, I would I would lean towards Someone could have wrote in, like, a diary, and someone might find it, like, I don't know, dozens of years later and, like, crazy stuff like that, you know? Yeah. It does happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, um, I don't know. I just, I think it's so crazy. I don't know much about the Vietnam War, but, like, reading, there was, like, a huge article done in the town about Jerome's brother, Daniel, and apparently his aircraft got shot down a couple times. He arrived, I think, the wife was saying he arrived on their fifth anniversary 
to Vietnam. And within like a first couple days, his plane got shot down and they fell into water and they had to be saved. And so he was saved and it got shot down another time. And they were literally getting ready to leave to go somewhere else. They were getting stationed somewhere else to get their aircraft worked on. And he had like less than a day before he was going to be to safety. And that just kills me. Um, Oh my gosh. But it's a really great article. Um, I don't think you need a membership for the morning call. I can't remember. Maybe you do. But, I mean, it's posted, I think, uh, because he was part of the military. I think the morning call is one of those that you can read, like, two free per month. And then you have to do a... So, as long as you haven't read an article on that (laughs) site this month, you can... Stop reading morning call articles right now and save it up for this one. Honestly, they have really great articles. I'm not going to lie. For a local newspaper... They do. They do. Pretty good stuff. Yeah. One other thing before we're done. I found the father's obituary and I just thought it was really interesting because there was no mention of Jerome on there at all. Hmm, um, okay. he died December 12th, 1982 at the age of 72, um, because of an illness. But then I was like reading on, there are so many Jerome's and Daniels in this family. I was getting confused and, but they didn't mention the other son either, which I thought was strange. They only mentioned the living children. Maybe that was interesting how it was back then. I have no idea. Well, and there's also just kind of two categories you have preceded in death and survived by and in this case you know jerome is this question mark so he's not necessarily preceded in death by jerome but he's also not necessarily a living relative and maybe just because of that gray area that was the typical response at that time i don't know but you said the other son wasn't mentioned either no Interesting. Which I thought was weird because obviously he's like died like a war hero, I guess, to this town. So like, I thought that was weird. But then when thinking about it, like most of the time, these obituaries are written by family members, unless there is like, I guess no family member, but it could be different. I know now you have to pay for the obituary. Yeah. So, yeah. And they're not cheap, may I add. Um, Yeah. So who knows? I just thought it was interesting. I wanted to add it. Yeah. And that's it. That's all we have for this episode of Keystone Cold Cases Podcast. Please remember never to reach out to family or friends of the victims, only to law enforcement if you have any tips. This episode was researched and hosted by Chelsea Brown. Find all of our sources, social media connections, and contact information at kccpod.com. The music and production assistance from Darren Megan's. Join us again next week for another case to sleuth out.